either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. We are busy again in the screening room, but that's that's the type of year it is. Welcome. We'll find out if anything has the power to beat Frozen 2 uh, this week, but we'll break them all down. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. And let's start out with the story of a corporate defense attorney taking on an environmental lawsuit against a chemical company that exposes a lengthy history of pollution. It's called Dark Waters. I am a corporate defense attorney. So? I defend chemical companies. Well, now you can defend me. How many did you lose? 190. 190 cows. You tell me nothing's wrong here. You need to tell me what in the hell's going on. DuPont is knowingly poisoning 70,000 local residents for the last 40 years. You knew. Still, you did nothing. You want to flush your career down the toilet for some cow hand? You want to take everything that you know and turn it against an iconic American company like an informant. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Yes. This is interesting because we both enjoyed this movie, but if I wouldn't have known who directed it before I saw it, you could have given me probably 50 guesses to guess who directed it, and I never would have gotten Todd Haynes. Right. He has such a particular style. And it's funny because this film is shot in Cincinnati, most of it, mm-hmm. which is also where he shot Carol. Which, and, which was one of my, well, the year it came out, was that was my favorite movie of that year. That's right. That's right. Um, loved it. But just not just the, the storyline itself, but the look of it. I mean, mm-hmm. his, his films tend to have this buttery glow <laughs> about them. Yeah. And this movie is... One of those kind of ripped from the headlines, true stories. It's very gritty. I mean, there's nothing about it that says Todd Haynes' film other than the fact that it's made quite well. Yeah, exactly. And there's not, there's nothing, it's certainly nothing wrong with that. It shows no, no. a talented filmmaker can move in different types of styles, but it's just, it's such a departure. Tremendous known, departure, yeah. If you've seen anything he's done, like not only Carol, but Far From Heaven. Oh, sure. Or even going back to that, the one that you mentioned in your written review of this movie, the, the Karen Carpenter story he did with Barbie dolls. Right. I mean, nothing prepared you for, for this type of take on, no. on this story. But you're absolutely right. It's the type of take that fits this story because it is very true to life. Of course, they're going to take some liberties. But uh, the story of Rob Bellot, who is actually was a, um, a graduate of the Ohio State University Law School right. right here where we are in Columbus. But then he settled. He was practicing in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And he his grandmother lived in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And... Which is near where you grew up. Yeah, it is. It's not too far. I grew up in Cambridge, Ohio, and we used to go across to, to the mall there. It was about an hour drive or so. But anyway, so his grandmother uh, tipped a friend of hers off to get in touch with uh, Rob, hopefully to get the ball rolling on a lawsuit about the, the water in the area being poisoned. So it really was about a 20-year odyssey. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's one of those that really deserves the salute that this movie gives it. Mm-hmm. It was an incredibly dogged bit of work by Rob. I mean, how he just kept at this yeah. thing and kept growing and growing and growing because, as you can imagine, any 
corporation as large as DuPont. That's the chem- that's the um, chemical company that chemical, they had to go yeah, after. Was DuPont huge? Right. So obviously they have big lawyers and a large legal team mm-hmm. that know all the tricks to stalling and not have to pay up mm-hmm. and to just keep on the trail. It's it's really a a story that does deserve the salute it gets. And Mark Ruffalo, who stars as Rob. Uh, had a lot to do with that. He really, it's based on a magazine article. He was inspired to get in touch with Balot because of a magazine right. article. And and we got a chance to talk to Rob, actually. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that he says is that the film actually remains really, really close to the true events. I mean, they, they took very few liberties, which is interesting. And then the other thing we found out, of course. Yeah, he said, uh, yeah, Mark Ruffalo is just as cool of a guy as you think he is. I could not pick a more perfect person to have done this. Um, he is a fantastic person and really honestly, genuinely concerned about this issue and wanting to do it the right way and you know, you know agreeing to, to include me and consult with me and the people in the community. And you know, I re- really could not have picked a better person. And then to have him team up with somebody like Todd Haynes, who is also just phenomenal and the the screenwriters you know Mario Coria and uh, you know Mr. Carnahan and just the entire crew was really amazing and just participant that studio is focused on doing stories with social impact and importance and you know that I think that entire group was just a, a phenomenal team to, to work on this I couldn't have been happier such so as one little quote we got a chance we had a few minutes with him he came to town to the Gateway Film Center, and they screened the movie with a class of current Ohio State Law School students. Right. So then he gave a little Q&A after that. And he was right. a, just a great guy. And he, he said they did. To take a 20-year span of legal maneuverings and to break it down into a you know 90-some-odd minute right. or whatever it is right. movie is a tough job. And oh, he sure. thought they really did a good job of doing that. So to hear it right from the guy, uh, that, that tells you how authentic this movie is. But he's great, of course. Ruffalo is mm-hmm. great. Now... Anne Hathaway plays his wife in a in a role that it's one of those that could be so easily pigeonholed as the long suffering wife. The We've seen it a million times, but she finds a way to she give does. it an edge. Uh, to give it an edge, yes, because she's not entirely likable all of the time, and uh, you wouldn't be. No, and, uh, and I really liked the sort of attitude that she brought to this character. Of course, mm-hmm. she's always she's just a tremendous talent. Well, she is, and that was actually a bit surprising. With such a small role right, that she would be right. interested in it. But it's so important because that, that role can be such a standard ma- mainstay. Oh, yeah, there's the long-suffering wife. Yep. Got to find a way to make it more than that. And then it's just one of, the, one of the many things that makes this such an authentic film. The only thing, and I wouldn't really call it a real detriment to it, but we've seen this type of thing before. It's a, it's a story that we've seen, unfortunately, a lot because there's a lot of corporate malfeasance. There I am using that word Look again. Look at you. <laughs> I used it this morning on TV. I'm like, oh, somebody got a thesaurus. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we've seen these stories, these movies, and this type of, of telling of the story doesn't really break any new ground no. in doing it. But at the same but time... But the truth is... You're going to learn something you from are. this that you, you didn't know. And uh, and it's it's pretty shocking, some of the revelations in the story. It really is. And it, it certainly is an outrageous story. And it's also populated not just uh, Anne Hathaway, but it's got a great 
ensemble of supporting characters, like Bill Camp, yep. who you may not know his name. You know his face. Yep. He's one of those that guys. Oh, yeah. And he plays the farmer that first is the one who gets in touch with uh, Rob Bellot. And so he's just one of the, you'll see a bunch. Oh, um, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins, Tim Robbins. Mayor Winningham. Yeah. So a bunch of them. Tim Robbins plays the main partner in the law firm mm-hmm. that uh, Blot works at. So great ensemble and a really a story that that really needs to be seen. It's not another. It's not a feel good holiday story except for the fact that you like to see justice done. Right. But it's a real salute to the the type of determination it takes to get something like this. One done. of the things um, uh, Ruffalo was on the Daily Show this week, and he said superheroes are the people when you watch in movies that you want to be. Real heroes are the people you do not want to be. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good way to put it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got it, got it done with this one, so we recommend Dark Waters. Next up is the story of a pilot and a scientist finding themselves in an epic fight for survival while attempting to make discoveries in a gas balloon. It's the Aeronauts. <laughs> I believe there are answers in the sky. Up there is where I have found the greatest happiness. Gentlemen, to predict the weather could save hundreds of thousands of lives. We are scientists, not fortune tellers. You'll get your chance. They'll realize your worth. I think they know my worth quite well enough. Prove them wrong, James. I'm a really good aeronaut. I want to use what I'm good at. Women don't belong in balloons. And she makes such a show of herself. Miss Wren, I need to make studies of the air. I'm not a coachman for hire. You are the only person who could fly us higher than anyone has ever been. So will you? So it begins. Biggest screen you can find. Yeah, exactly. This is one that it's rated PG-13, but again, as I said on TV this morning, it should be rated FH for fear of heights. <laughs> because if you have it, oh man, is this... Strap in! <laughs> I'll tell you what, this is another one that is based on true events, but not nearly as realistically as the one we just talked right. about. This more one, inspired by true yes, events. This one takes many liberties because it, it, it tells the story of a early meteorologist, this was played by Eddie Redmayne, uh, who was looking to prove that you could, in fact, predict the weather right. uh, by getting up as high in the atmosphere as he could to take readings of humidity and uh, moisture, air temperature, things like that. And to do it, he got in this balloon. Now, in reality, it was another guy, a guy named Henry Coxwell. There's a name for the <laughs> 1800s, huh, ladies? Uh, was his was his actual co-pilot, and here they make up an entire different character. I need to point something out. You remembered the name of the guy who's not in the movie, but you didn't tell us who Eddie Redmayne plays. Well, the last name Coxwell just kind of jumps out at you, doesn't it? All right, let's go back and fix that little uh, bit. Of the uh, Eddie Redmayne plays James Glacier. There you go. All right, so and. Uh, Felicity Jones, reunited with uh, Eddie Redmayne from The Theory of Everything, of course. Uh, She is the balloonist, and she's just a totally made-up character, and her name is Amelia Wren. But you know what? I don't begrudge taking those liberties one iota in this movie. No, I don't either. It's not a documentary. No. And the backstory is pretty dry. I mean, it's interesting, 
but it's pretty darn dry. And they turn her into a real spunky, a daredevil yeah. type of balloonist, a show woman who, who really wants to uh, ignite the crowd and things like that. So I think the story needed it. Well, and they give her a far more compelling backstory to kind of hang the... Because the majority of the film is the two of them in a basket. Right. So you they each have to have some kind of an arc to get you through that. Although, as you pointed out, they have a really natural sort of sibling-style chemistry. They do. Yeah, they do. Obviously, having already done one feature film together, mm-hmm. they know each other very well. And yeah, they're very comfortable with each other in a brotherly, sisterly kind of way. But it's director, the writer, the co-writer and director is Tom Harper. And one of the smart things he does, he wastes no time in getting us up in this balloon. Correct. And once you're up there, that's where the draw of this movie is. Because as we said before, the story is, uh, okay, that's mm-hmm. a nice little bit of history on early weather readings and stuff like that to put us put them all on the road to scaring the heck out of us on the 6 o'clock news for Snowmageddon <laughs> 2020. <laughs> this is how it started. But no, once we're up there, boy, that's why we say you've got to see this on the biggest screen because the visuals are amazing. They are breathtaking. They really are. I noticed around us, there wasn't a big crowd at our screening, but you could see people squirming in their seats. Yeah, well, and we got the chance to see it on 70 millimeter. Wow. I mean, it was just breathtaking. Yeah, if you can see it on IMAX or 70 or anything like that, because while it's making a gentle defense of science and reminding you how important science is, it's more like pounding its fist on how important the big screen is. Because... (laughs) You know, so much streaming and different types of uh, services, which which can be great. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But there are some movies that are just going to lose a lot on a smaller canvas. Yeah. And this is one. Yes. So if you have any interest in this movie at all, you've got to see it on the big screen because some of the visuals. And believe me, it's not just floating in a balloon. No. Some things happen Holy up there. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> well, what it made me think of, uh, to, to a different degree, though, was Gravity. Yeah. You know, Gravity was a film that if you, for me, if you weren't going to see it on a big screen, don't see it. Yeah, right. Because, you know, the story was fine, but it was unbelievable to look at. And exactly. this is a bit like that. This is more of a sort of fun family adventure kind of a movie to watch. But the reason to see it is the visuals. Yeah, because, again, it's not we're not just floating up there looking at the landscape. Some some things happen, yeah. and they get, uh, as the quick synopsis said there, a fight for survival yeah. as uh, things go awry. So if you're going to see it, definitely see it in the next few weeks on the big screen. And uh, I think you'll be amazed by it, and that is The Aeronauts. Next is the return of one of our favorite young filmmakers, Trey Edward Schultz. He's writer-director of a story that traces the journey of a suburban family led by a well-intentioned but domineering father as they navigate love, forgiveness, and coming together in the aftermath of a loss. It's called Waves. It's been hard, hasn't it? Let go of a prayer for you. How you doing with everything? I'm good. Just a sweet word. You know, it's okay if you're not. The table is prepared for you. I'm trying to give you the tools to succeed in this world. It's not easy out there. Everything's gonna be okay, all right? Always. We're in this together. I've held on to way too much hate in my life. But all we have is now. All we have is now. 
If you don't know Trey Edward Schultz, he did It Comes at Night a couple of years ago, which was quite polarizing for horror fans. We loved it. Loved it. And then before that, his debut was a smaller movie that I really liked a lot. And if you are of a mind, seek it out. It's called Krisha. Mm-hmm. And it actually starred a lot of his friends and family. Mm-hmm. In fact, the main woman, Krisha Fairchild, is his aunt. Mm-hmm. And he it just shows you what you can do with a small budget. You can still tell a great story. Anyway, fast forward. Now he's got a big budget. Now he's moving into the big leagues. And he's got a really gripping story of loss and forgiveness and how one family deals with it. Kelvin Harrison Jr. stars, and and he starred in It Comes at Night. He yeah. was the, the main character, the, the teenage boy. Right. And uh, the story itself is actually in some way, I'm not sure what way, but in some way semi-autobiographical. But uh, For Schultz. For Schultz. Yeah. And so casting an African-American to play what is essentially a, a white kid's role might seem like a potential stumbling block. And I think on the whole, Schultz and his cast overcome that. Uh, It's a really compelling story, and it's really the way it's filmed, the way it's scored, the performances, and then a very interesting way that the film is structured. Yeah. From beginning to end, it is a fascinating movie, and you in in and it's hard to take your eyes off of it. But there are it's funny to me personally. There are moments in the film where the only thing that rings untrue are these sort of I think almost shorthand ways of saying this is a black family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, the, there are times where I felt like there was an an if inauthentic ring, and and that was it. It was as if he was trying too hard, just periodically, to like redirect our attention. This mm-hmm. is the black experience, mm-hmm. when of course he wouldn't know what the black experience was. True, um, but I, I think you're right on on all counts, especially the shift it makes. Early on, it reminded me of a movie that from earlier this year we liked a lot, starring Kelvin Harrison Jr. Loose. Yes, it did. Uh, it. In, in the fact that he plays a character that's sort of like a golden boy right. in high school. He's an athlete. He's a wrestler here. And he's a smart. And he's got a lot of things going for him. He's got a popular girlfriend. And just, you know, he's he's living the life. Yeah. Uh, and this one, his father, played by Sterling K. Brown, is, you know, a little tough on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, really trying to keep nose to the grindstone, mm-hmm. keep working mm-hmm. kind of thing. And he's got a stepmom who's really been his mother his, mm-hmm. since early, early on. So... Um, he's he's really living the life uh, and trying to stay out of the way of his father, I guess. But And then there's a bit of a tragedy. Um, and after they deal with that, you're right, that takes about, about half the film. And then we have a shift mm-hmm. to his younger sister. Then it becomes her story right. as she's dealing with... The aftermath of the, the tragedy. The aftermath, and then finding her own life yeah. and a way to move on, as well as the entire family has to do. And it... It's it's fascinating in the way he just puts a microscope on this family and and the way he he kind of wraps it up at the end without it's certainly not a tidy no, bow which no. I appreciate. Uh-huh. And also uh, uh the rest of the performances it, you don't get to see him until the second half of the movie but Lucas Hedges. Yeah. He is just one of the we said it last week for Honey Boy. Lucas Hedges is just one of the most reliable, versatile young actors working. And then also Taylor Russell who plays the sister who yeah. doesn't really get she gets very little screen time until halfway through the film. Uh-huh. So when she does take over the story, it's a, it's such a different perspective. She's so quiet and, and a bit damaged from the tragedy. But the performance is just wonderful. Yeah, and then it's also the parents, how they oh, have yeah. to deal with mm-hmm. moving on from this tragedy and 
reconnecting, especially the father, with the daughter. Yeah, that, because, that's my yeah. favorite, actual, that's my favorite scene in the yeah. film. It's Charlie K. Brown, he is, again, uh, he's another one who's just, there's never been a performance of his that isn't spectacular, and this is another one, and it's such a heartbreaking performance as it well. It is, it is, because as, as stern as he may be, you do get the feeling that he has the, the child's the best interests at heart. Right, although he's... He, he may not be doing well by him. Exactly. And I think that's what makes it heartbreaking. So then it's it's his revelation and sort of grasping with that as the film progresses. It's, yeah, and it's a chance to learn and and grow from that in mm-hmm. dealing with the tragedy and dealing with his daughter mm-hmm. after that. Because early on, he puts a lot of his interest into the son, mm-hmm. which his wife uh, is certainly quick to, remi- quick to point out. Exactly right. So it is. It's... Um, it's very serious. It's very heart wrenching, but in in the end, it's it's another journey that's worth taking because of how well it's done. Just how well the entire thing is put together. And once again, Trey Edward Schultz really proves that he's he's quite a storyteller. And I'm always going to be uh, just three films now, right? Uh, three films in, he, he he just really established himself as really a filmmaker to watch. Well, the other one though is is Harrison. It's oh just yeah, two spectacular lead performances this year. I mean, I just can't wait to see the next thing that kid does. Exactly right. So another one that we like this week, Waves. We've got three more this week that are all in limited release. The first one, a mystical teen noir that follows a young girl's disappearance in the rural Midwest and its effect on teens and parents. This is from a filmmaker from right here in Columbus, Ohio, Jennifer Reeder. It's Knives and Skin. What do you think is going on here? It will almost kill you, but you will not die from this. You were warned! I will rise. If only... Tell me where she is! To hold you down. This movie floored me. I can't even tell you how much I enjoyed every second of the movie. And I think it's going to, it will, remind people of a David Lynch kind of a film. It's as if David Lynch had made Brick with a feminist bent. <laughs> That's kind of what you're going to come up with here. And, and you know, all of those elements t- together is a yes, please. It's funny because uh, one another one we're going to talk about here in a few minutes has some David Lynch uh, reminders yes, in it as well. Yeah. But, yeah, this one's actually very cool because... Well, you got to talk to the writer-director, Jennifer Reeder, Mm -hmm. about this film. And she, here in town, we're lucky enough to have the Wexner Center for the Arts. Mm -hmm. And she actually, Jennifer Reeder, actually used to work there before she started making movies. From the time it opened. From the time it opened in 1989. And then she was like, you know, did the tours, the walking tours of before it was a Uh a functioning art house. And then she worked on the loading docks. And then she worked (laughs) at reception. And then eventually she became a a very well-regarded filmmaker, Mm -hmm. mainly art films, short films, which have premiered there. And so she uh, she she did one of the premieres of Knives and Skin at the Wexner Center as well, and now it's in wide release. And it is such an unusual film. It's so profoundly interesting. It looks absolutely glorious. And it's, but it's, you know, it definitely as a Lynch film, I mean, it borders on the surreal the entire way through, but it's also satirical and at the same time, you know, it has its moments of just being very earnest. I, I, and I, all of the performances are just wonderful. Yeah, you have to mention the cinematographer here, Christopher Rahano, 
And we should mention our friend was the editor on That's this. Right. Michael Lennick yeah. was the editor on this. Who he works most of her projects, doesn't he? He does. And and they they met through the Wexner Center yeah. for the Arts. And uh, and it's just it does. It's a it's an amazing looking movie. Yeah. But but the underlying themes disregard the fact that you're going to go. Yeah, this has a very Lynch feel to it. The underlying themes are really subversive and feminist and wonderful. Yeah. So if you can find that one, it's worth seeking out. Knives and Skin. Next is the story of a troubled college freshman, Luke, suffering a violent family trauma and resurrecting his childhood imaginary friend, Daniel, to help him cope. It's called Daniel Isn't Real. Have you ever seen things like this before? I had an imaginary friend when I was a kid. His name was Daniel. He was my best friend. He was my only friend. It's kind of a strange notion, but maybe you should try to connect with that part of yourself again. You needed my help. He's weak. He's lonely. And he's nothing without me. So a couple of uh, offspring from famous uh, Hollywood couples. Yeah, you've got Miles Robbins, who is the son of Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon. And then you've got Patrick Schwarzenegger. Who could be his dad? <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one that actually we got to see during a Nightmares Film Festival right. here in Columbus, mm-hmm. Ohio. So a lot of stuff that's hitting close to home this week. I like right. that. But uh, it's one of those. I mean, everybody, you have, a lot of people have those Remembrances. Oh, yeah, I had an imaginary friend, and this one kind of <laughs> takes it up a notch. It does, and it has some great visuals. There is that creepy dollhouse. Man, people, especially in the last couple of years, have really used the creepy dollhouse to magnificent effect, from Hereditary to The Lodge, which comes up pretty soon, and this one does as well. Uh, and then uh, once you flash forward to adulthood, and he's having some troubles dealing with his mom, who's played by Mary Stuart Masterson. She does a great job in a role that could be very, I would say, uh, kind of pigeonholing, but she does a great job with it. But he's trying to deal with her deteriorating mental condition, and he decides to sort of... He is Luke right? dealing so, with it, and he uses the Daniel as his imaginary friend. Right, or so he thinks. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things, so then the whole uh, you know, second act is the two of them being basically Tyler Durden. I mean, it's basically Fight Club in a, in a lot of ways, right? His imaginary friend, Luke's imaginary friend, is kind of talking him into, you know, being untethered, unbridled, go for it kind of a thing. And it feels like he's being supportive, and then little by little by little, it becomes more destructive than that. Uh, And in the end, though, for me, what I like the best about this film is that uh, the third act takes a weird Clive Barker turn that you don't really expect. And things become sloppier and weirder in a way that I really respected. This is a director is Adam Egypt Mortimer, and it's from a novel. Actually, it's the the writer of the novel also did the screenplay, Brian DeLue. So another one, if you can uh, find it, it's going to be in limited release, but might be worth checking out for you. Daniel isn't real. And one more in limited release. It's The Haunting Ghost Story, set against the backdrop of a busy winter sales period in a department store following the life of a cursed dress. That's right, it's in fabric. The dress is your image onto what you project through an illusion. I'm just going on a date. I don't normally wear this kind of thing. Be bold, your date will compliment you. You who wear me will know me. What's that supposed to mean? It's just a cheap bit of mystery. I think something's wrong with that dress. Don't tell me you're scared of a dress. 
kind of spanking you almost. This one is weird in so <laughs> many ways, but good ways. Yeah. We talked earlier about a film that reminded you of David Lynch. This one sort of does mm-hmm. David Lynch crossed with Argento. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then crossed with uh, a washing machine repairman and weird <laughs> things like that. It's nuts. It is. It is nuts. And it's Peter Strickland, a British filmmaker who whose films are nuts. And this one is, uh, I think, probably the most mainstream, maybe, of his <laughs> films. And I think one of the reasons that it is is because for the first time, the lead, the main character, is of more kind of a working-class, recognizable human character, yeah, like a she real works in a bank. person. Mm-hmm. And she's played by Marianne Jean-Baptiste. Who's, who's you might know from Secrets and Lies. Right, right. But you, if, even if you haven't, you'll know her face. Yeah. She's she's in a lot of things. She's very strong here. And you, you really root for her. You do, because she's gone through a divorce, and now she's maybe wanting to start dating again. So she joins one of these Lonely Hearts, I think that's what she calls it, Lonely yeah. Hearts Clubs, and goes out on a couple of dates. But she has to get a new dress, and she goes to this store, and the main woman at the... She just, the main sales lady at this store just has such a creepy manner about her. Oh, it's crazy. Of kind of forcing her, you know, very, very... Like, it's like perfume commercial speak. Yeah. It's not... It's the most heightened catalog language you could possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah, something that Jay Peterman from right. Seinfeld might write. <laughs> so she gets this dress um, and it goes on her dates and then just weird things start happening. I mean weird. And is the dress cursed? And is the dress killing people? And then you bring in another guy, a, sort of a Pecked guy who's about to get married and he fixes washing machines and when he starts talking about how he fixes them goes into this strange trance where he just repeats the same thing he said a million times and then that has a weird effect on these two guys that are sort of like the bobs from office space and I could just go <laughs> on and on but you get the idea it's so weird and hypnotic it, and colorful it's oh it's very colorful and and it has definitely a throwback feel a, a giallo kind of a feel yeah. uh, it's clear that Strickland really really loves and understands how to use the language of the 70s exploitation films from Europe, the European, yeah. the color scheme and the vintage look. It has a very 70s look, feel very, about it, very, very. Much so. And it's also, uh, I mean, it's clearly, it fetishizes consumerism. Yeah. So in the way and that... And some other things. Yes. But in the way that Romero hated consumerism, so I would say does Strickland, although in a much more satirical and very fetishistic giallo kind of way the way that giallo movies will fetishize violence against women yeah that he just fetishizes everything about consumerism and you might find this listed as a horror comedy now it's not a horror comedy say like Shaun of the dead no. but it does have some dark humor oh, about it's it funny it is I funny. the bobs I, the bobs yeah, are hysterical i really laughed in more than a few areas so if that sounds like something you might enjoy look it up because it's uh it's we enjoyed it yes. but it's weird and that's in fabric hey before we go to the lobby we want to say give a shout out to seth and valerie because we meant to say this last week we and did we forgot but they took us up on a recommendation that's right because they they heard us say glowing things about the documentary making waves uh which george geeked out about because it's such an interesting uh film about music and sound, sound in sound film. Design. Sound uh-huh. in film. yeah and they liked it, so we're glad. Yeah, thank you guys. So let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby.
Just three in the lobby this week coming out on home video. Ready or not, we, we talked about it before. It would be uh, part of a great double bill or maybe triple bill with uh, the current Knives Out yep. and then Parasite. Parasite. So sort of a one percenter kind of a metaphor. Uh, you have to play hide and seek for your life. It's bloody. It's funny. Uh, it's very smart, and it's just a good time. Yeah, this is more of an outright horror comedy. Right. Uh, but definitely some blood is spilled. Uh, we had a good time with Ready or Not. Low Tide is out on DVD this week. A very small movie. Stars Jaden Martell from yeah. It and so many other great performances. It, I found it interesting because it is a real type of heist. It's, it's, a, it's a heist movie and follows the type of tropes that you are used to seeing adults do, but it's really based with the life of teenagers, mm-hmm. and they find this actual buried treasure, and then uh, they're suspicious of each other and they how they get out of it and get in danger and things like that. Uh, I enjoyed it, called Low Tide. And another one is out, it's streaming this week, actually it's been streaming for a couple of weeks, called Fastest DeLorean 2. Now this is funny, a lot of sequels, the first thing a lot of people say about sequels, well, should I have seen the first one? And in this one, the filmmaker actually says, yes, you ha- have to have seen the first one. And we should say the filmmaker is Adam Contras. It's his second documentary, and he's a bit of a friend of ours. Uh, he's from Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. but he lives in L.A. And the whole, both of these movies, parts one and two, are based around the fact that for years he's made his living renting out this tricked-out DeLorean that he has. Right. It's, tricked out completely like the time machine in the Back to the Future films. So the first one is mainly the story of how he got the car, how it came to be, and then his quest to set the speed record for a DeLorean to be the fastest DeLorean in the world. And then it leaves us with a couple of big cliffhangers. He's on the side of the road with the car in flames, and then also... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also, one of the things that drove the first film is this incredible bit of deception by his brother. Right. And his brother's a gearhead that helped him with the car, and then it takes this turn that you just you just can't believe. So then part two picks up with that. So it, it follows again how the, the effect that this car has, has had on his life and the, all the places it's taken him and his good friend Don Fullalove, yep. who plays Mayor Goldie That's right. in the films. They're good friends, and, and uh, Don is involved in this as well. So you get to see how that plays out, fixing the car, and then how maybe his relationship with his brother gets fixed. It's put together in a very stylish way, and also Adam has a great quality of, an endearing quality of the fact that he's kind of watching this with us, looking back on it, and just saying to us, can you believe this? Can you believe all this stuff that's happening? And it really draws you in. So obviously it's going to be of interest to Back to the Future fans, gearheads as well. There's a lot of technical stuff about uh, this car, what goes wrong, and how to fix it. But beyond both of those things, it's just an enjoyable story. And uh, it's streaming now, Fastest DeLorean Part 2, along with Part 1. Looking ahead next week, we've got a full plate, as you know we're going to do this time of year, because, man, they're coming out fast and furious. Jumanji, the next level. I enjoyed this last Mm -hmm. Jumanji, and i got to be honest, the trailer with the the way, the angle they're taking with it, it looks funny. funny. It It does. does. It looks funny. Black Christmas. Worried. PG-13, plus I have the feeling that I've seen the entire movie based on just the trailer. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, it's, of course, a remake of that uh, classic from the 70s. Richard Jewell, Clint Eastwood's latest, comes out. Also, The Two Popes. Yeah. That is one that you've already seen, actually. Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price as 
the two popes. A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Been looking forward to this gonna one. Going to watch it tonight. You're We're gonna, excited. Yeah, and Mickey and the Bear comes out next week as well in more limited release. So a lot next week, a lot this week as well. Let us know what you thought of any of these. Always glad to keep the conversation going on Twitter. That's the easiest way. You can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. We're Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and our horror movie-only podcast, Fright Club, you can find all that at madwolf.com. And as always, thank you for stopping by the screening room. And if you have a second and could subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Thank you very much. Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.